0: welcome everyone this is hannah weisberg this is in conversations with hannah I'm Hannah Weisberg, editor of The Jewish Woman. I'm joined today with a special guest in honor of Gimel Thomas. We thought you would really enjoy hearing from some of the members of our team. And today's guest is Rabbi Tzvi Freeman. Tzvi, welcome. Thank you for joining us.
1: Hi. Hi, Hannah.
0: Uh, Tzvi, we thought it would be really interesting to, so many of us have read so many of your articles, seen your recordings, seen so much of your creative work. And I thought it would be really interesting for myself as well as our viewers to actually hear the story behind the man and to hear a little about your journey, a little about your what motivates you, what inspires you, what brought you to do the things that you do.
1: You know, there's this, this um, beautiful video of, of these little goslings that were uh, rescued when they were little and they haven't ever been near water and then as the goslings grow bigger they they molt and they get the white feathers and they're big enough now to go to the water so these um um whatever they are the forest rangers whoever who got them are now releasing all the 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 adolescent goslings to the water and they all rush towards the water, and they get their feet wet, and they turn around and run back, and then they <laughs> run back again, and then they run back, and then finally one of them falls in the water, and all the other ones are looking, what's going to happen? Well, it looks like he's having fun in the water, <laughs> so another one goes in the water, and, he's out, and pretty soon they're all in the water. So you can ask, well, why did the why did the why Gosling did go, go to the water? water? Yeah, You're why right. did it- well where are they supposed to be? That's that's their natural places to be in the water. So of course they're in the water. This makes sense. It's it's not like a decision that you have to make. Should I go this way? Should I? Oh, nobody told me that's where that there's water here and that I'm a goose. So now I found out. So, how, you, you know, so the, take right.
0: us a little through your journey of how you found out.
1: Um so, yes, I was born in Vancouver. Uh, my mother came there from Bangalore. Her family had gone to India from Baghdad when the British left Baghdad. And when the British left India, they left India and came to Vancouver. Uh, and my father was uh, was from... Uh, he was a Canadian, but originally the family was from Romania. But he ran away when I was little and my mother remarried. And my my stepfather uh, was from England, London, survived the bombing of London. So we were in Vancouver, which was considered then to be the end of the world. My father told me that a Jew has to go to the synagogue twice a year. Hmm. Uh, and stand up when when the rabbi says stand up. Sit down when he says to sit down, and sit there through his entire sermon. And for this, you will be forgiven for all your sins. Is it? <laughs> so, wow. Who needs that? I mean, it wasn't of interest to did, me. Did
0: you believe in God at the time? Was God part of your life?
1: Yeah, I'll always. Say. Mm-hmm. Um look. My 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 mother is an Iraqi Jew, and she imbued a lot of that spirituality um she we weren't really keeping kosher we never ate pork um Mm -hmm. we're not really keeping kosher especially not out of the house Uh, we didn't keep shabbos but um it was very clear to me that If I needed to get something, the one one to ask was God, you know, I asked my, I I want a bicycle. My stepfather is not giving me a bicycle because like he works (laughs) on the courts and he sees what happens to kids with bicycles. I'm not getting a bike. So my mother's not, can't influence him. So I just have to pray to God and ask God, please, I need a bicycle. Okay. I got a bicycle. But it's raining outside and this is the pacific northwest this is vancouver it's raining it could rain for the next two months you know and i just got a bicycle god i need it to be sunny tomorrow could you please make a sunny today? <laughs> okay it's sunny the next i took those things for granted right that's obvious um so uh, we had plenty of atheists that came by our house and I talked to and my professor was certainly my professor was my teacher in school was certainly an atheist um I said, "I have to give that a chance. you know, let me think that through." And I remember this vividly. I'm sitting in, in the the living room, looking out the the window and thinking, "Okay, okay, what would it be like to think like an atheist? i I, I have to see if it can really work. Can you create mm-hmm. like you can can you create a an ideology out of this? And I'm trying to imagine it, and there's a breeze outside, and the breeze is rustling the leaves in the tree. And I look at that and say, this is stupid. <laughs> 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 <Wow>. <laughs> I mean, it's, a, it's like so obvious. Like, that you a look. I don't know what they're talking about, you know.
0: I'm just curious how this actually ha- ended up, that you ended up learning in a yeshiva. Yeah. In, in I'll New tell York. you what
1: happened. I got to somewhere I was around in England, northern north of England, and I had a little recorder with me. I played music all the time. Um I had my guitar strapped on my back. And and I was thinking, you know, I'm traveling to here, I'm traveling to there. So I said, when I finish all this traveling, then I'm going to start thinking about what life is all about. No, mm-hmm. oh, wait, wait a minute, hold on. When's the best time to think what life is all about? Is right now while, mm-hmm. while I'm traveling. And mm-hmm. I have no connections. So what is life all about? So I couldn't figure that out. But one thing I could figure is if you're going to live, you might as well learn to do something good. So what could I learn to do good? Uh, I could be a musician, a good musician maybe a composer. Okay. So I, I settled on that and then I was ready to come back home. And when I came back home, I got my job back again, teaching guitar, and I was able to pay a teacher to teach me music theory. And then from there I was, I asked him when I got the music theory down, who can teach me how to write music? I'm not going to go to university. And there happened to be a famous composer in town who was very married to a very wealthy man. Her name, her name was Jean Coulthard, and she had just retired. So I went to her with my, in my torn blue jeans and long hair and convinced her to give her me lessons in music composition, which amazingly enough, she did. Hmm. But then she told one of her graduate students, take this kid and put him in university. And I went there kicking and screaming. Mm. (laughs) But she said so, so that's what I had to do. And I was back in university. So it was really, a lot of it was that that scene on the university campus threw me into a huge ball of confusion. Uh, A real, I guess, identity crisis, because I don't know who I am over here. Am I... uh, a classical guitarist a composer am i a rock star am i a hippie am i an academic an intellectual am i what am i i have different friends that i'm different people with and each morning i have to get up and decide not how i'm feeling but who am i today Mm -hmm.
0: um
1: and i'm teaching guitar at the same time as as trying to get through the, the grades and writing music and getting into this crowd and it was very confusing. So at the end of that year, a group of us got together. Again, we're looking for how can we get squeeze money out of these government grants. And we got this idea we're going to take a Volkswagen van, load it up with us like musicians, poets, actors, artists, and we're going to bring the arts, the fine arts, to the children of lumberjacks up north, in mining towns and lumber towns. And we, they'll love our art, right? <laughs> so, so you can imagine, like these artists and musicians are all crazy, and they're packed in this Volkswagen van, and and sleeping in the van or sleeping on some gymnasium floor. And when we put on our shows for these kids, they're they're laughing at us hysterically and throwing spitballs, whatever. And, and we we have to get along with each other. I'm, and you're living in such close quarters with these people, with these crazy people. That's when I first felt. I'm not these people. Hmm. And, and that's, a, that's something difficult. I still find it difficult to describe. There was this one morning that I got up in the, early in the morning and I decided I got to speak to God again. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't talked to him in a long time. So I had a shower, I got dressed, I'm going to talk to God and I couldn't. Hmm. I couldn't because I felt whatever I said was not authentic. It's not sincere i'm just pretending when i was a child it was sincere now it's not hmm. i remember when i was like biking through england and my bike was breaking down and it's late at night and i've got a bike to the hostel and this bike is not moving and i got to keep going because i have no clue where i am like there's no gps in those days you know? i just got to keep going and i've started yelling out the only jewish prayer i knew at the time <laughs> over and over again with with the shem's name right? um so those moments were sincere or the time when i was like trying i was in jerusalem and i got to find my grand-aunt's house and i don't even have the address but i was there once and i got to find it so i just look up to the heavens say god like you you're directing me you'll get me there right that was very sincere but now it was impossible i could not be sincere um Something that education, I don't know, these institutions did to me. So I figured, okay, I'll sing. I used to sing songs, to make up my own songs and just sing. So I'll sing to him. But now I'm a trained musician with a trained voice. Mm. Everything is also fake. It's all artificial, and I can't. And it's bugging me. I desperately need to have this conversation. And I can't. It's not coming out. There is nothing sincere. There's not a sincere bone in my body. It's all fake, all fake. And at that point, I noticed right there on this little finger was a a teardrop. So I figured that that teardrop must have been sincere. There must have been a moment when I really meant it. And that's when that teardrop came. Wow. And... I figure if I have taken a photo of that teardrop hmm. close up with a microscope, I'd be able to see everything that happened in my life from that point on hmm. inside that teardrop. I think that was really the turning point. But finally I went for like this thing my sister said I had to go to. And this, uh, it's in the afternoon, after the afternoon prayers, mincha. And this guy's talking. I, I, it was hard, like the cognitive dissonance. I think, Like I said, the only fedoras I'd seen were in gangster movies, but these gangsters had beards. So i trying to figure that out. Uh, so I'm listening to this guy and he's talking. I don't know what language he's talking. What on earth is he talking about? Uh, it sounds very fascinating. I have no clue. Something about light coming in through the stained glass windows and vessels shattering and go see what went wrong in the kitchen, you know? Um, And and when he opens for questions, it's obvious they don't have any clue what's going on over here. So I grabbed them afterwards. And I said, you got to explain this to me because explain that more. And by this time, I'd read all sorts of books of different types of mystics philosophies and ex- the existentialists and the transcendentalists and the Tao, and all the bhagavad-gita all sorts of different things rosicrucians you name it okay but he's got it like as a sophisticated science with all the mm-hmm. details i i can't understand it but i see it's like making everything look like comic books mm-hmm. so um i asked him so just explain to me like What were you talking about? Here's a simple question for you. What's the purpose of life? (laughs) So he's explaining that there's a kind of light and you have to see that each thing is being created at every moment by this light. So I don't see the light. Where is the light? Like we're downstairs near the chapel and... Where's this light you're talking about? And he says, there's a light that creates each thing. And then there's another light that's greater than that light that encompasses. I don't know what he's talking about. He said, the purpose of life is you have to be able to see when you look at something that it's not just a thing that there, it's light creating it at every moment. I'm trying to imagine light creating it at every moment, like a light show or a laser show. Yeah. He says something like that. And, and, And then, but you see, the difference is that the light is still within its source. Oh, man, what are you talking about? Mm. So after all this, I said, look, I'll come and see you tomorrow again. We'll talk some more. And I I went outside. And this I remember like it was yesterday. I come outside and there's this grove of tall willow trees in the July sun. And I look and they're not willow trees. They're beams of light coming down Mm. from the heavens. And, and you were
0: not no, anything. No, there
1: were no <laughs> psychedelics and thought, just beams
0: of light coming.
1: Down. Wow. So I came back every day, I argued with this guy every day. He's just a few years older than me, I guess. His name I, I found out much later was Yossi Hecht. Mm. And he was one of the most brilliant students in Lubavitch at the time. He became later the the Rav of Elat. He's still there. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I argued with him and I thought he was nuts. He had no clue what the world is all about. He never read any philosophy, never read anything else. But he's smart, but I kept on arguing with him. And uh, so just at that time, due to that teardrop, wow. the Lubavitcher Rebbe sent these four Shiva students, including Yossi Hecht and Gabriel Marzell, for me to argue with. And then as soon as that was over... um. Yossi Hech's good friend, Rafael Minkovitz, moves to town to be a teacher in the Talmud Torah Day School. And he made sure, he knew about me before he came, and he made sure that I would be at his house for every Shabbos. Mm. And like his house was my house. I could just like go to, I didn't even knock. I would just, Mm. anytime I want, just open the door and walk in and sit down, which is I really, really needed. Because when I was there, I felt... I felt at home more wow. than I felt at home in my parents' house. I felt That's at- incredible. Yeah, yeah. And then I went through this year when I was the undergraduate society president, teaching guitar, and had an overload of courses to make for, up for the course I didn't take the first year because I registered late, and um, and and I started keeping Shabbos and not being at school for Tov, which was a huge sacrifice. And every morning I would get up and I had, you know, put on my tefillin and say what I was, you know, packing ended up being like an hour every morning. Um, because nobody had told me before you were supposed to do these things. Now I found out, okay, so I'm doing it, okay. And 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 learning with Rafael Minkiewicz and not, so on.
0: Hmm. I want to fast forward a little bit to Mm. your work, to your work here at Chabad.org. Can you tell us a little about what you do here?
1: What do I do? (laughs) Uh, I'm still waiting for somebody to tell me what I'm (laughs) supposed to do. Uh, I I sit and I learn stuff and find people to, to talk to about it and drive them nuts about it. And then when I'm really excited about something and got it organized in my mind, I write it. Um,
0: what
1: what brought what, what brought you to Chabad.org? Um, it brought me to Chabad.org. There was a thing called uh, CompuServe. And then there was America Online, which became AOL. And there was the BitNets and other stuff like that. And uh, it was very, very Jewish at the very beginning. I remember on CompuServe, there was you could see activity in different groups and like the Jewish group was more active than, than the Christian group. And, you know, everywhere was this Jewish stuff happening. And I had a little, uh, Apple 2 clone. And, uh, later I got a, uh, I got a, a Mac too and I was online. You had to dial up each time. And there was this guy, um, there was this guy, uh, YYK, Yoshvitsa Kazan. And uh, we were doing, you know, answering people's questions. And he asked me to write some, write some, write some Hasidis for, uh, for the internet. And I said, but it's, everything written in English is boring. So he said, write something that's fun. So I wrote down the Sinai files. Mm-hmm. And uh, that went big on the internet. It wasn't the internet yet, it went big online, and the BBSs and so on. Um, and, uh, and then I started doing this uh, souls on wire. I called it, which was a subscription where I wrote these little meditations. So when uh, the the third day of Tammuz in 1994, uh, after the after the Rebbe's passing, um, I felt I a need to. Create these little packets, everything that I had learned, and put them in little packets. And I felt it was a travesty that um, all these people who are seeking for something and they seek it everywhere else except for from the Rebbe, who was such a such a, a fount of wisdom, a, a luminary, but ignored. I felt this was the way: make these little packets. So that was how this souls on wire subscription started. And I started creating them and writing them, trying to make it as succinct as possible, be more mobile that way. And um but still profound and deep. And those were doing well. And uh eventually that got well YYK. He was he dedicated his life to this whole thing, but he, he didn't live very long. Mm-hmm. And then it was taken over. And uh, these guys who took it over contacted me. And so I was providing those writing. They wanted more and more. There was only a certain rate I could turn them turn them out at. Hmm. And then got involved in the Ask the Rabbi thing. And then eventually came on full-time to Chabad.org. Hmm. So that's how that happened. But I, still, if you can tell me what I'm supposed to be doing around here, I'd be very happy. <laughs>
0: Um, we're all we're all waiting for those meetings, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: what, what, whatever excites me, that's what I what I,
0: I. So it's been a number of years since Gimel Thomas, since the Rebbe's passing. What is, in your opinion, the Rebbe's message for our generation now that we need to take from his teachings?
1: Mostly, that it's up to us. Um, it's mostly this, not so much. An idea, a word, or as a sense of urgency and responsibility uh, it 's in your hands, and you have the tools and you could really change the world. How do we do that? Well, one way is by spreading the, this wisdom and this way of thinking and uh, but mostly by standing up and showing that you are are proud of who you are, and you're not ashamed, and you're, you're, you're doing this all the way. Um, being being real, being authentic. Uh, so you learn the Rebbe's ideas, you make them real, and you act that way, you behave with other people that way. That's, for me, that's a huge shift, because like I said, that growing up or attempting to grow up, uh, I was snide, snide and nasty to a lot of people. Um, and I have to learn to listen and make room for other people and work together with other people, uh, not to be the big shot. And on the other hand, you have to be able to to stand up with dignity and pride. And this is the way we do things. And be strong. Hmm. So it, that combination of these two opposites of the Rebbe called it like being a needle, a sewing needle. It's got a very sharp end to, to pierce through the world. But at the other end, there's a hole inside. So that so it can hold the thread. Mm-hmm. And and so you have to have these two opposites inside you if you're going to change the world. So look, there's this so much wisdom there. And it's the wisdom that everybody is looking for and everybody needs today. We have a rabbi who experienced it all, He experienced the whole history of the 20th century. And, and he studied both from the greatest in, in the Torah world and from the giants of science in the, at the, the University of Berlin and at the Sorbonne. Um, and he's delivering to you this wisdom, which is this is how you deal with the twenty first century. It's all there for you.
0: Can you give us a sneak peek on any projects in the works or something that you're looking for? I've been for? trying
1: for a long time to write an article on what is a soul. Mm. And there so such misconceptions that are out there. And the rubber prevents a very scientific view. I consider it a scientific view, very rational a very it gives a lot of power of explanation behind it and a non-dualist view of the soul and uh so that's a very important issue the uh there's also i think our our perspective of the world how we understand the world i think is about to change dramatically because for the last few hundred years especially since the industrial revolution we start we started looking at the whole world and everything inside as a bunch of machines so we have a very flat world but now the machine has transcended itself and and we're starting to see the difference between a human being and a machine in a very mm. in a very vivid way um so i'm hoping that this will bring us back to seeing a, a, a deeper you through,
0: depth. you mean through ai is that what you're talking about
1: yeah and these um mm. uh, transformer and language models mm-hmm. that uh, allow us to have a very different perspective. I worked in high tech for a while developing educational technologies and I, I used to write assembly language and so on. Um, so I see where this is going and I see the, I see the limits of it it has, it definitely has a, as a ceiling, several ceilings to it, mm-hmm. but I think it will help us to see the world in a, in a very different way than we've been seeing it, as though it's just a a two dimensional machine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to write on that as well. But they're di- these are difficult topics; they require a lot of research, a lot of thinking, and then sure. more research and writing. So for every article that gets written, goes a lot, a lot, a lot of time. A oh, lot of sure. Sometimes sure. it takes many years before mm-hmm. it can come out. That's how right. It works.
0: Okay. We're looking forward. Thank you so much for joining us, Rabbi Freeman. Thank you for your thoughts. Thank you for your journey, for sharing your journey with us. Thank you for a lot of food for thought about our own, that we can apply to our own lives. Thank you. Thank you. Stay tuned.